You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. The Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's a beautiful day today, David. Uh, nice overcast, drizzly December day uh, here in Atlanta. Uh, I uh, got back late last night from uh, a weekend in Prague with my wife. Uh, we had a delightful weekend in Prague. Uh, we after a, after a couple of days in New York, where I was speaking at a conference, and we decided to take the weekend off and go over. And uh, we love going to the Christmas markets in yeah. Europe, which are always just a lot of just delightfully fun. Prague is a beautiful, beautiful city. Um, we uh, arrived. Uh, we I flew for the first time on one of those giant double decker airplanes yesterday. Coming back in Air France, Air France flight from Paris to JFK. That is a big. I mean, you, you don't. I mean, you see the pictures, right? But until you've been on one, you don't literally don't appreciate how massive those things are, with a big staircase in the front and the back to go down to the second level. We were on the second level. I've also never flown on a smoother airplane, hmm. David. I didn't even. I couldn't even tell we took off. That's. Huh. A, I guess the thing is just so big that you. It just the movement is just smooth. Landing, never felt a thing. Landing, never felt a thing. Couldn't even tell we landed. It was just just glided to a stop. It was just a delightful. So we we got the JFK, and of course, there's apparently only one gate at JFK that holds that airplane, and of course, there was somebody else at that gate. So we we got stuck in the in the in the, in the flight uh, on on the runway for for about what an hour. Plane? What's that? What kind of plane? It's one of those uh, uh, Airbus uh, with the double decker, with the full double decks, the whole way. Not like not like the little tiny seven forty seven. This thing's. I mean, I, I know some people. Some airlines fly 900 people on that airplane, on the two decks. I mean, if you lined it uh, three, four, three the whole way, you could fit a lot of people on that airplane. We were we were in row 82 on the second deck, um, but uh, it was really uh, a lot of fun to fly that. A lot of fun to fly that. Uh, Delta's got uh, Air France has got nothing on Delta. There, Delta gives just as good a service as Air France, but that's a big, big airplane. Uh, so we got home last night. Uh, in, in Atlanta uh, and got to our car. We're leaving, going through the connector. All of a sudden, I'm driving on the connector, getting near 20. Pop! My tire blew out. Oh, no. 11 o'clock at night oh, no. on the connector. <laughs> right, right. And, I, and, of course, I'm in the left lane when it pops out, right? I had the common sense. I, I could tell what tire it was. I had the common sense to pull over to the right without killing anybody. Uh, and then, of course, these, these newfangled Audis, they have covers on, on, on the lug nuts, and you got to pull this out of that, and you got to do this. About a half hour later, I got that tire changed and got back in the car and got home. But, man, nothing like changing a tire in the dark oh, on wow. the freeway oh, uh, yes. after about 23 hours in the air and, and, and land from the time we had taken off from left Prague that, that, that morning before. <laughs> so it was a long Long day That's yesterday. You look a little tired. I feel a little tired today. I got to tell you. And of course, you're, you're, when you travel, when you go three or four days, you begin to adjust to that time zone. Six hour time difference. Right. You begin to adjust, and just when you're about to adjust, you come back. And so I woke up at. I mean, I went didn't go to bed till twelve thirty. But that's that was six thirty in the morning. I'd woken up at six thirty the previous day. That was twenty four hours I was awake, and woke up at three thirty because now it's nine thirty in the morning. Yeah. And then I woke up at. 4.30 and 5.30, finally got out of bed, 6.30, and, you know, it was just like, man, I can't, they didn't, I can't wait to get a few days here. Not traveling anywhere for quite a while now, David, so I'll be in town, be able to get this show done and share with people some of the fascinating things that are happening out there in the world of immigration. I thought you were going to be gone over Christmas. Uh, we are now not going to be gone over Christmas. We were going to go to, to Gatlinburg. <laughs> 
Not going to Gatlinburg now. Uh, I can tell you that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the tragedy that occurred up there is yeah. just uh, really quite sad. Apparently, it started by two kids. Two kids. Well, as an attorney, I mean, I, I can't think of anything worse. You killed thirteen people. Yeah, yeah, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. Something. What should be done to those kids? You know, I, I am not a criminal defense lawyer, and I don't, you know. Juvenile law is very difficult. I mean, I don't know how even how I don't know how the kids are. Are they eleven? Well, they're eleven. Of course, you treat them like kids. If they're fifteen, you gotta you gotta get this go back and forth type of thing. And were they trying to start a fire? Was it a mistake? I mean, I uh, I had a good friend in Arizona uh, who was a Boy Scout leader, and um, he took some Boy Scouts out, and uh, they thought they'd put a fire out, and ended up causing like a massive forest fire, and they got he got actually got fined for that. Uh, and got a criminal sentence for that, uh, and got fined. But it was a it was just an accident. You know, I mean, these I mean, these kids really start the fire intentionally. That's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never hear about hardly fire forest fires in the South. You just hardly ever hear about no. them because it rains so much here. But we had, we were so dry in in October, days. Octo- September, October, November. It was just brutal. That apparently not a problem anymore. <laughs> apparently, it's not stopped raining since I left uh, left here last week. But uh, it is. Um, uh, it is. It was an interesting trip. Now, of course, I get in the taxi in Prague. What do you think the first question the taxi guy asked me after where are you from and I tell him the United States? Did you vote for Trump? Well, he wanted to know what is the deal with Trump. That's the, the literally the very first question the taxi the taxi guy wanted to ask. You know what what is the deal with Trump? Um, and and it wasn't the last time uh, somebody over there in our trip. Basically, every Czech citizen we spoke to asked us, what's the deal with Trump? Um, and uh, I think Ameri- a, lot of, a lot of our friends abroad are perplexed by the election of what is essentially an oligarch. Uh, uh, so it, it's... Uh, and you try to tell them, well, you know, America, we, we, we live in a, uh, in a republic, and um, we vote for president, and uh, those people... We actually vote for people to vote for president, and those people vote for president, and we get what we pay for so to speak, and uh, neither political party gave us really great options this time, and um, we picked one, and we get to live with that for four years. Uh, David, I noticed your name. I didn't see a picture of you. Go- I was at Trump Tower, by the way, on Thursday. It was in New York on, oh, I guess it was on Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, went by Trump Tower. Didn't invite me in. Didn't invite me didn't in. It, they didn't Kanye gets in, but I don't get in. Yeah. I, I thought that was... Saw his picture today. Going yeah, Con- go, as long as, I mean, now here's what I don't get. Kanye's running for president in 2020. I mean, is this like a preemptive strike? Uh, is he going to get rid of Pence and put Kanye in as vice president? I think he's got a tax problem at the moment. Who, Trump or Kanye? <laughs> Which one? Um, I, I, maybe he's trying to get, you know, and it was funny because I heard this. And what movie did I watch on the airplane coming back yesterday? Elvis and Nixon. Have you seen this movie, David? Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, you you've got to get it on Netflix. You've got to watch this movie. It's very low key. Uh, Kevin Spacey plays Nixon, and Kevin Bacon plays Elvis, and it's just a story of the literally the forty eight hours that Elvis decided to go visit Nixon so he could become a federal agent yeah. at large. It is. It's just. It's hilarious, but not laugh out loud hilarious. You kind of go, this is one of the weirdest things in the world. Um, and I, I think of Kanye and Trump. I'm thinking Elvis and Nixon. 
maybe Kanye wants to be a federal agent at large. Maybe. He could, it could be. It could quite be. Uh, but I, I, would, I would encourage you and anybody who has not seen Elvis meets Nixon or Elvis and Nixon uh, to go see it because it is uh, absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, there's been there were some appointments while I was gone, of course. Uh, uh, the appointee to the Homeland Security Secretary, General Kelly. Uh, interesting appointment, by the way. Uh, and um, while some of my liberal colleagues, of course, fret about Kelly because uh, he's a big border enforcement guy. Okay. But he also understands the push factor. Uh, he gave testimony, I think it was two years ago in Congress, about the nightmare that is Central America. He has a very deep understanding of Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Nicaragua, and the push factor that's pushing these refugees that come to our southern border, these, these women and children, he gets where that's coming from. So it, it's nice to have somebody in there who gets the bigger picture. Now, I don't know what he's going to do on enforcement. I don't know how he's, what he's going to direct ICE to do. I don't know how he's going to react on um, USCIS policy. But one thing is evidently clear. He is a very smart man. Uh, and he understands policy. And here's what's interesting. He's neither a Democrat nor a Republican, interestingly enough. He's one of the few nonpartisan guys that Trump has put in there. Uh, and so because he said he would serve in either administration, and I'm not even sure he voted uh, in this last election. Um, but I, I, I like him because he's honest and he's straightforward and he, and he views it as a mission to protect America. I think that's awesome. I think that's what we should be all about. Um, but I also see, as you know, I, I have an expansive view of what the good that immigration can do for America. So I, I think Kelly's appointment, I'm going to give kudos to Trump on Kelly's appointment. Not so sure about the, the Secretary of State. Uh, the conflicts just, David, these conflicts just seem so large to me. You know, how it's did just, you like Reagan? I liked Reagan. I thought Reagan was one of our greatest presidents. Okay. You know, I've thought about, I've thought about I, I, the Secretary I, of State. And think about it. I think his first Secretary of State was Kissinger, right? Reagan. Didn't he keep Kissinger in? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I think he kept Kissinger in, and then was it Schultz was his second one? I, you know, and then I'm James sure. Baker then with the three. I think I think he had. Th- I'm trying to remember. I was a young man. You know, we have the internet. We could actually look this up. <laughs> we but could. but I, what I started to say about Kelly though is uh, the fact that. Reagan's probably most one of his most famous sayings is keep your friends close and your enemies closer. closer. And, you know, everybody's throwing this stuff out about uh, Tillerson and and his relationship with Russia. Well, he has a relationship with a lot of countries, actually, and with the big players in those countries, Putin included, obviously. But maybe there's, you know... The only one that I've been so far sort of disappointed in came out today, and that's... Uh, Rick Perry? Perry. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a big Perry supporter. Well, I can um, see why. <laughs> but, you know, other than that, I think Trump has done a pretty good I, job. I tell you, Tillinger obviously seems uh, like a very smart man. Obviously, he's done great for ExxonMobil. My concern with a guy like Tillinger is the conflict of interest, at least the perceived conflict of interest. You negotiate a half a billion contract, dollar contract with the Russians on oil that cannot be carried out because of the sanctions then imposed by Obama. And now you're in charge of determining whether to end sanctions. 
I mean, there's just at least a perceptual conflict of interest. I think you'll grant me that. Uh, I'm, I wrote on my Facebook page, somebody attacked me for this, Congress has got its work cut out for it. You know, generally, a lot of these, whenever a president gets in initially, most of these appointments are pretty much rubber stamped. You know, okay, I have to give the guy his due. Get it. These appointments are very much um, different than past appointments. I mean, you look at the, the past appointments and you see people that were appointed that had some experience. Now, I'll give you Secretary Clinton, all right, had no foreign policy experience other than his first lady, okay? Uh, and so I, I would say Tillinger has cl- – Tillinger, right, his name? Till- Tillerson. Tillerson has at least as much foreign policy experience as Clinton did going in. And he's paid for his own trips to fly all over the world. Well, I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. Uh, well, actually, he hasn't paid for his own trips. His company paid company for his own. You know, actually, you and I own stock in his company, paid for the travel all over the world. Um, so I think it's fascinating uh, to see this take shape. Now, here's what's more interesting. None, we, we hear about cabinet picks, um, but we have, and we heard an EPA pick, right? That's the guy from Oklahoma. EPA is not a cabinet position, is it? EPA, yeah. yeah. That's not a cabinet-level position. Environmental Protection Agency? It's an agency. So it's an not – it's, it's no. part of another – it's not part of a department. See, secretaries are head of departments. So I, I think the EPA is an agency. Under DHS? Well, no, I think it's probably under energy, don't you think? Environmental protection, energy. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I, I have to look that one up too. Uh, so he he really hasn't appointed lower level people yet. So we don't know who's going to be the head of ICE, who's going to be the head of USCIS, uh, and all those people are leaving. They're literally resigning January twentieth. So the agencies are all going to be run by temporary heads. So let's get back in a bit when we come back on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook. Abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar cómo, qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visítenos por el internet al www.immigration.net. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio, the most listened to radio immigration podcast in the known universe, near as I can tell. Did you check that recently, on, David? On, on, on true reporting. On tr- <laughs> true reporting. Tr- truth and That's news. a fact. That's yeah. a fact. It's not fake news. It's a factual news. Um, 
But we were talking about Trump hasn't made these these other appointments. These uh, the head of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, the head of Border Patrol or Border Protection, the head of USCIS. My guess is that the Border Protection guys will stay in place. Uh, the ICE people will definitely be leaving. Uh, and you will see a massive change in policy at ICE. I think. I think of, of all the agencies related to immigration, the one in which you will see the biggest change in policy uh, will be ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, because ICE controls the drawbridge. How many people get out? How many people you know get deported? They, they lift that up and put that back down uh, at their leisure. And right now, the, we have backed away from Obama's record numbers, over 400,000 a year being deported, to the mid-200s, maybe low-300s this year. But I think you're going to see a dramatic increase in those numbers again uh, once the new head of ICE comes in. The first thing, David, you're going to see disappear uh, is what's called the Prosecutorial Discretion Memo. This memo was written in 2014 by the then head of ICE's... Uh, uh, legal department and then put out under ICE's signature, uh, which basically says there's only three types of people that we want to deport. We want to deport felons. Basically, anybody convicted of a felon, we're going to pick you up, we're going to put you in deportation, we're going to deport you. If you're serving time, we're going to put a detainer on you. As soon as you get done with your time, we're going to pick you up and we're going to expeditiously remove you. That's one. The reality is, of those numbers, that number one priority, David, in the U.S. today, maybe a couple hundred thousand. It's not a huge number. It's not a huge number. Two, the second priority, people with serious misdemeanors. What are serious misdemeanors? Well, number one serious misdemeanor is, uh, is DUI. Now, a DUI itself is not a crime involving moral turpitude and is not itself a ground of deportation. So they can't deport you for a DUI unless you are undocumented. If you're a permanent resident, you can't be deported for a DUI. But if you're undocumented, uh, you certainly can be. Uh, Also to include theft, like shoplifting. Also to include uh, domestic violence uh, that doesn't rise to a felony level or family battery. So all three of those are second priority. How many of those are there? Hmm few hundred thousand, three, four hundred thousand, maybe. And then the third priority of deportation are is anybody with a final order of removal after January 1, 2014. Now, here's, uh, here's what I think changes in those, in those priorities. This is part one of the discretion memo, uh, the priorities memo. This, I guess, is the priority memo, not the discretion memo, the priorities memo. Number three goes away. And instead of saying anybody with an order of deportation post- January 1, 2014, it'll be anybody with a deportation order is a priority for removal. Period. End of story. Now, how many of those are there? Near as we can tell, there's about 900,000, maybe 800,000 that have, again, immigration doesn't really know, but uneffectuated deportation orders, close to a million. So between those two, that's 1.2 million people like that. Now, Unless Congress allocates more money, David, there's a physical limit to how many people ICE can process and deport. Now, obviously, those that have prior orders of removal don't need to go to court. They just literally need to be processed to the border, put on airplanes, put on buses, and sent back home, wherever they happen, wherever home happens to be. So I think, one, the priorities memo gets changed dramatically. So one and two stay the same. The others are gone. Now, 
here's the other thing. I don't know whether they will resume, probably they will, detaining people who are undocumented, David, who get picked up for traffic violations. Right now, unless you are a priority one, two, or three, if and you're undocumented, if you're picked up for a traffic violation, ICE typically will not detain you. All right? Now, that's... That changed. In the first six years of the Obama administration, they would detain you. Now, I think that uh, that will likely change. Uh, we'll go back to a full 287G enforcement at the county level, and we will see anybody with a traffic violation picked up and put into ICE custody. Now, they may get released right away on bond, but they will certainly get put into deportation proceedings. Now, here's what's really gets where it gets really hinky. ICE has X number of dollars. The Executive Office for Immigration Review, Immigration Court, have X number of dollars. They can get, with those X number of dollars, they can get Y people processed through. They just can't get anymore. So unless Congress doubles the budget overnight and doubles the agents overnight, doubles the bed space overnight, and doubles the judges overnight, just these priority people will clog up a system that currently is at record clogginess with over 500,000 pending cases in front of about 280 immigration judges. So they're each, they're each handling around 2,000 cases a year on average. Now, some handle a lot more, some handle, some, some handle less. So we're all handling around 2,000 cases a year. The courts are open on average... 220 workdays in a year, David? Is that about right? I think that's how many workdays there are. Five times 52, 220 workdays. Um, and so if they heard hearings all day long and they had 2,000 cases to do in a year, that's 100 cases a day. Can you do 100 cases a day? I, I don't see how that's possible. Now, some courts are churning out large numbers of people because they don't show up for their hearings. It's easy, it's easy to do deportations for anybody who wasn't there. But then ICE has to go find those people. Even if ICE could magically double the number of agents, which they can't, I mean, just literally hiring qualified in law enforcement personnel, I mean, it's just, just I, I tell you, there's a shortage of people like that to go out and find them to do this job, to train them, put them through two months of training, get them on the job, get them assigned to mentors, get them through the on-the-job training. All of that, an expansion of ICE, which is already the largest law enforcement agency in the United States, um, becomes really quite quite a technical and physical challenge. So this idea that Trump is going to be able to deport even the people that Obama is deporting, in any, in any time frame that ends before his first term in office, perhaps his only term in office, is laughable. And the idea that he would deport an extra 10 million people or 9 million people during that time frame is simply not realistic. Everybody gets that. Now, Congress can avoid that by actually looking at immigration and saying, okay, let's, you know, this is stupid. Let's fix this problem. I was thinking, David, as you know, I'm considering running for office for Tom Price's seat. And I was sitting, you know, my area of expertise is obviously immigration. I know lots about other stuff, too, but it's one of my areas of expertise. And I kept thinking, why won't a Congress, which I think every side agrees, whether you agree on a solution or not, they all agree the system's not working. Uh, why won't they sit down and hammer in an agreement? 
you know? Why won't they do that? Because both sides benefit from doing nothing. Both sides benefit from doing nothing. The Democrats benefit by saying, hey, we're protecting all you Latinos and Asians and Africans. We're protecting you. We're, we're going to make sure nothing bad happens to you. Uh, and then some Republicans can say, hey, look, we're, we're going to stop all these illegal aliens coming in and taking our jobs and marrying our women and reading our Bibles and they're, taking, they're destroying America. And so they, they both have something to argue for. If the issue goes away, they have to focus on real policy. That have to work. That have to work. Um, my wife had a campaign theme in mind, David, uh, but I think I modified a little bit. Uh, would you like to know what my wife's campaign theme was if I if I decide to run? Are you curious? Yeah. Do you want to let it out this early? Well, it's my wife's idea. It's not my idea. Uh, my wife's idea is to make Congress great again. I <laughs> <laughs> to make Congress work again. You know, and so we've got um, we've got a real dire situation with Trump deciding who am I going to appoint? Now, he could still appoint somebody like Chris Kobach to head ICE. You know, ICE is already terrible as far as uh, the lives that they are struggling. Now, not the people. I mean, I know I know a lot of ICE agents. They're good men and women. They're just doing their job. It's, it's, a, it's a thankless job. I mean, I know some ICE agents that are not good people too, but the vast majority are really, really good people. Uh, and you know, I think it breaks their hearts sometimes as well to look at the, this nightmare that is the system. Um, but, David, there was a great article. Not a great article. There was an article that came out just yesterday in, uh, in USA Today. Now, I'm not I, – I, to call the USA Today a great newspaper would be a kind of a gross understatement. But it's called The Gut-Wrenching Life of an Immigration Judge. The gut-wrenching life of an English judge. I suspect that for some judges, it's not necessarily gut-wrenching. This is a judge named Thomas G. Snow in the Arlington office of the Executive Office for Immigration Review. He was previously, if I'm not mistaken, the acting head of all the immigration judges at some point in the last eight years. But it's now just a judge. So he was, he apparently was just been demoted, I guess. I mean, he was the acting head, and now he's just a regular old judge in court. Um, he says, I'm an immigration judge. People I meet seem pretty interested in that, especially lately. But they often don't understand what we do. I found the best way to explain the job is to describe some of the decisions we made. People come before an immigration judge because the U.S. government, via the Department of Homeland Security, is trying to deport them. And there is usually little dispute that they are deportable. First mistake. Assume everybody's deportable, right? They've come across the border illegally, or they've overstayed their visa, or they have legal status in the U.S. but have committed crimes that make them deportable. So we don't have to spend much time deciding whether someone is here legally or not. What we do spend time on is whether the person before us has a legal basis to remain in our country. This is actually what the lawyers get involved in. Either ensuring somebody gets deported quickly, if in fact they want to be deported quickly, or fighting for them to stay here. For example, someone facing physical abuse or worse back home, depending on the reasons for such persecution, may be eligible for asylum and can stay. A person with U.S. citizen children who has been here at least 10 years and has good moral character and whose kids would suffer exceptional and extremely unusual hardship if the parent is deported can stay. Even someone who's committed a violent or serious crime can stay in the U.S. if they can show they would be tortured by public officials in their home country. That's called the torture convention. We sign on to that. We have to let those people going to stay. Uh, here's what he writes. This is hilarious. Uh, deciding such cases doesn't sound so difficult, but it often is. And I mean, what about it doesn't sound difficult? Of course that sounds difficult. 
Take the example of someone seeking asylum. One of our most vexing challenges is assessing credibility, trying to figure out whether the person is telling the truth about what he fears and why. Sometimes there's not much to go on other than the person's own testimony. Yet that is not a decision we want to get wrong. I've probably been fooled and granted asylum to some people who didn't deserve it. I hope and pray I have not denied asylum to someone who did. Um, now, I, I would encourage everybody to read this article in USA Today uh, by Judge Snow um, because um, I think it does open people's eyes to what immigration judges do who don't experience it every day. Now, I'm, we are my firm in court a lot every day. Uh, I spent years in court myself fighting cases and arguing with the government counsel and judges for relief from my clients. Uh, but what I, what I see is if Trump is really going to deport people, uh, every one of those gets to go to court unless they're what they call an aggravated felon. Even they get to go to court if they're afraid to go back home. So I don't see how physically you can get even two or three million people through an immigration court system that can't handle even half a million in a year. Not to mention the consistent flow of people that are coming through. Let's take a break here in the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. David, we were just correcting ourselves. Uh, Reagan only had two secretaries of state. Alexander Haig, I'm in charge here uh, for a year until Reagan got better and got rid of him. And then George Schultz for seven years. Uh, uh, it was Baker was Bush, uh, Bush Sr.'s uh, secretary of state. And Kissinger must have been. Kissinger stayed on with with um, uh, with Carter. I know he was. I know he was beyond uh, Nixon and Ford. He must have stayed on with Carter at that point. Uh, so, uh, David, looking at as these additional, um, let me call it, appointments by uh, by President Elect Trump. Uh, what do you make of uh, this idea? Uh, that Russia uh, was inv- intended to influence our elections. Does that surprise you at all? 
Does what part of it surprise me? The fact that they wanted to influence our elections. That doesn't surprise me. Does it surprise you? You know, we, we have some... We do another show called uh, uh, Buzz Off, which is high-tech, and we have, we have people in that uh, are in... We have a couple of government uh, contractors that their job is to, to hack into different things mm-hmm. and see if they can be hacked into. Um, and one of them was on right before the election talking about voting machines. And, uh, no, I'm not talking about voting machines. This is separate. That's just, a separate issue. Yeah, but separate just, issue. You're, you're talking about just just the general. No, I'm talking about generally kind of influencing the election by leaking information, etc. I don't think Russia got into our machines. I think that that's a separate issue. I don't like the CIA said that, uh, and I think people have been conflating those two issues because there's two separate things. One sure. is Hacking. did the Russians hack our machines? The answer to the question is no. Did they try to influence the election by releasing information? Undoubtedly true. Undoubtedly true. WikiLeaks. Oh, clearly. I mean, I mean clearly WikiLeaks got that information from, from Russia, no doubt about it. Um, so I, I just think it's fascinating that the machines themselves are the machines. I mean, hopefully we learned our lesson in 2000, paper backup. I mean, Hillary lost this election because she lost the votes in the key states, all right, regardless of whether she won the majority of the votes. Uh, we don't run elections like that in the United States. But... Why would we be surprised that Russia wanted to influence the election away, supposedly, away from the Clintons and towards Trump when they've been doing similar types of influencing for the last five or six years in countries around the world, like London, like England, like the Ukraine, uh, like in other parts of Europe with elections? Russians have been trying to move countries towards a more nationalist approach and away from a globalist approach uh, to clearly to enhance its own international standing. I mean, that's, that's how I perceive this thing. And I don't think we should be surprised and that's the case. I do love how Trump just out of hand dismissed, oh, of course, you know, Russia wouldn't do that. How would you know? You missed your presidential briefing on that topic. <laughs> Well, I, well, see, I don't disagree with what he's saying on the on the briefing. Oh, I do. He, it changes got, every day, David. He's got, and if if there's something uh, th- that part of it, I'm well, I won't go in. Anyway, I, I uh, he has access to anything he needs to to know on a minute basis, as opposed. How, but the question is, how does he know he needs to know it? Unless because it's, it's clear Trump is not a reader. Okay, it's clearly the guy doesn't read very much. That's that's obvious. Okay, so he gets a lot of his news from Twitter and apparently from the mainstream media because he's always tweeting out. I saw this on Fox. I saw this on MSNBC. I saw it on CNN. So clearly he watches the same mainstream media he attacks. So if it's not appearing on CNN, if it's not in his Twitter feed, how else is he going to know about it? Unless he gets it in a presidential daily daily briefing, I know he's not a stupid man. Clearly, he's a smart guy. Okay, but the presidential briefing is not for dumb people. It's to say, hey, here when you went to bed last night at eleven fifty and woke up this morning at six a.m., here's all the things that happened that you probably need to know about today as you go about your decision making well, there's two in the previous One, night. What's he? What's he going to do about it? Well, that's the Until question. January the twentieth. Well. He the thing can't is, do anything about it. Well, the, that's the thing is, but he can. He can know about it. 
but he, he has, that's what he has. He's surrounded by very good people. That well, Pence is getting the, the presidential daily briefings apparently in preparation to be president of the United States. I'm not really quite know. sure, but uh, Pence will tell if he needs to know anything important. I, I think that's an area that we can friendly disagree about. But, <laughs> um, no, I. I uh, Anyway, I, th- I think his appointments so far have been. Uh, I, I like the uh, from a military background. I like the the uh, people he's chosen. I have to ask you about Tom Price's appointment. Tom Price. Mm-hmm. We uh, we replayed his uh, when he was here and was interviewed about his thoughts on how to change Obamacare, doing a, doing away with Obamacare and his plan. Um, as you know, I'm not a big uh, Tom Price fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think he was probably selected because he has for seven years been pushing a an idea, uh, and I think that's what Trump bought. Um, do I agree with it? Uh, there's only there's there's three appointments or potential appointments that I I somewhat question. One is Price because of trust. Uh, Chow, which uh, <laughs> I'm, Mitch McConnell's wife. Yeah, uh, I I didn't like her as uh, Secretary of Labor. Secretary. Uh, and the other one is obviously Perry. But you know, I I have grown to respect Trump. For doing a, he's so far done a lot of right things, in my opinion. Well, he certainly made some interesting choices that I think uh, I think Congress will confirm most everybody. I mean, uh, the only one I don't know about is Tillinger. Uh, he has gotten some real opposition. Tillerson. Tillerson. Sorry, I don't want Tillinger. Dillinger. I'm going to go. He's not a criminal. Okay, Tillerson, um, because it's only fifty-two forty-eight in the Senate. Right. That means three defections, and you're gone. And there's already three guys, guys, questioning uh, McCain, Tillerson. McCain, when he blows his nose, should blow himself away, in <laughs> my opinion. Um, well, and the fine senator from South Carolina, Mr. Lindsey Graham. And he should uh, go right. She, he should be holding McCain's hand. And Mr. Rubio. And Mr. Rand. It's actually four. Now, here's the deal. The, he has, that has to go through the Foreign Relations Committee, which is a one-person majority committee. So if one of them flips, and, and both Rand and Rubio are on that committee, if in committee they flip and say, I don't support this guy, it's over. It doesn't even get a vote on the floor of the Senate. So this is gonna be, uh, there's going to be a real sell by Tillerson up on Capitol Hill. And it's going to – here's what I'm looking forward to seeing. How the Republican-controlled House and Senate – will interact with the Republican White House and what type of deference and what type of fight they will go and give back and forth. David, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch over the next couple of months, early on in, in the administration. Um, now, uh, from, the, from the other immigration political perspectives going forward, there's still a lot of people out there, David, that are very concerned uh, about what what a type of focus enforcement would look like. 
I mean, would Trump really send ICE agents out to round people up? And I'd say the answer is no. Again, this goes back to ability. This goes back to um, uh, the best use of resources. If you have a tree in your backyard and it's full of apples, and um, there's apples at the top and apples at the bottom, which ones are you going to pick first? Those at the bottom, right? Low-hanging fruit. It's just standard, right? So the low-hanging fruit on immigration are the guys that are picked up in county jails for driving out a license. So if I'm, if I'm an Uber investor, I'm happy now. I mean, I, I will tell my clients who are going through the green card process but who may currently be undocumented, use Uber. Why are you driving? Why are you driving on a license? Use Uber. Uber works. You can use Uber. It's legal. Uh, and so Uber stock should be going up here, whereas car insurance company stock and car, car sales stock are going to go down because people won't be buying cars anymore. Uh, you've got uh, – so if ICE can take those easy people, the other easy people are the people with deportation orders. So, David, here's what I imagine happens at ICE. Here's a stack of 100 deportation guys that have deportation orders, men and women. All right. And these are just from last year. All right. Here's the addresses we have. You go online. You put their information in. It's amazing what you can find on the Internet, David. Now, the government uses a database uh, called ChoicePoint. Well, it used to be called ChoicePoint. It's a LexisNexis database. And they can put somebody's name and birthday in and pull up everything about them that's relatively up to date. I mean, it's like anything else in the system, garbage in, garbage out. So they have a pretty good idea of who lives where. So you get up at, you get up at the bright and early in the morning, 5 o'clock, you put your, put your game face on, you show up at the guy's house 6 o'clock, knock on the door, you haul them away. Now, that happened a lot last January with a lot of moms and kids. They stopped doing it because the optics were terrible. I don't think Trump's going to care about the optics. Uh, so you see a lot of people now that are being told what their civil rights are what their legal and constitutional rights are in America, that you don't have to open your door if anybody knocks on your door. You don't have to answer any questions from anybody, uh, including the police, if they ask you questions. You have every right to use the legal rights guaranteed in the Constitution, regardless of, your, regardless of your immigration status. And what we see going forward, I think, are people who will have, who will be much more careful in how they interact outside of their, outside of their family, outside of their community. Uh, who'll be much more cautious about driving, who'll be much more cautious about uh, 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 hopefully being ripped off by notarios, and will wait patiently for Congress to act on immigration reform of some kind or another. Uh, I, I was relatively, um, how would you say, relatively upbeat last week on the idea that Trump may pass immigration reform. Maybe Trump is Nixon, okay? Nixon went to China. Maybe Trump's the guy that does immigration reform. Reagan did immigration reform. But, but Reagan ran on a platform of immigration reform. Trump, Trump did not. So I'm curious, and, and I, I just kind of this feeling, I just don't know anymore uh, if Trump will be that guy. Does he really want to lead on this issue? Now, one thing that heartens me is that Trump's a deal maker. He likes to make deals. He likes the attention that comes from being the guy that solved your problem. He wants to be the guy who solves your problem. Well, immigration is a big problem. The economy is a big problem. Jobs are a big problem. If he can solve those problems, then maybe we get reform. Let's take our final break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio.
Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200 or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Now, the other thing, Dave, we were talking off the air, it kind of brings to mind, uh, which is causing fear not in the Latino community, David, but in the Muslim community, is this idea there's going to be some sort of Muslim registry or some sort of um, uh, deflected or reduced uh, immigration or delayed immigration from uh, Muslim countries. Now, let's, let's understand, this has already happened once, at least as far as registration is concerned, and... It's already ha- and it's been happening for the last fourteen years. Delayed immigration from Muslim countries. Um, and I'll give you a great example, David. I've got a client uh, who is a he's uh, uh, got a degree from Georgia Tech, super smart guy. Uh, went home to get his green card from a certain Middle Eastern country. We processed his green card, and the consul denied his green card for, for quote security concerns. Now, we've been fighting for the last two years trying to figure out what those security concerns are because we don't know. And my client insists he doesn't know what those security concerns are. I'm not going to get into where he's from, but, you know, one of the things that bothers me with a registry and registration is that it's done without any semblance of order, any semblance of purpose other than registering Muslims. Now, we did the same thing in World War II when we interned Japanese citizens. And we arrested Germans as well, but we interned Japanese citizens. Took their property, put them in camps in the middle of nowhere, and held them there for five years. Uh, Many of them were U.S. citizens. We're not going to do that in the 21st century. But by uh, asking people um, uh, to register, doing rebringing back what's called NSEERS, which is the National uh, Select, uh, I forget what the rest of that thing stood for, created by Chris Kobach under, under John Ashcroft's watch in 2003 to require every Muslim male who had entered the U.S. legally to register with the immigration, regardless of their current status. Now, 
I think around 35,000 men ended up registering in that program. And they gathered not a single piece of useful intelligence, useful information out of that entire program. They disrupted communities, however, and families. Um, if Trump moves forward with a reestablishment of incidents, which, David, he can do, let's be clear, the president has very broad power under the Immigration Nationality Act to do these things. Okay? Now, he can't inter people. I mean, Korematsu, the Supreme Court case that allowed internment, that, that, that'll be overturned if they ever came to the Supreme Court again. Um, but the idea that he can register people from a certain country or of a certain type is, I think, clearly allowable. There's an argument that religion, you can't do that, but I think he probably can, at least initially. Uh, NCRs was gone too quickly uh, or became useless too quickly for the legal challenges to work their way through the system. But I think what we'll see... If Trump does decide to say, okay, everybody coming from Saudi Arabia must be fingerprinted and put into a database. Now, here's what's interesting, David. We already have that. When you come into the United States, you are fingerprinted (laughs) and your picture is taken and they gather information. Now, what they can do at a port of entry is send those people to what's called a secondary inspection to gather more background information. That's called NCERS registration, and we did that before. I would not doubt that something like that will happen under Trump. But then he talks about any country who has a terrorism problem, we've got to be careful of them, too. So let's say somebody's coming from France. I was, in, I was on a plane yesterday from Paris. Uh, now, I could not tell you on that flight if there was any Muslims. I'm sure there were, but I couldn't tell you if there were. So how do you screen those people out? If that's truly you want to stop, I mean, you don't want you don't want the the, the French pastry chef uh, who is going to sleep with your wife to stay out of the country. You're only interested in the guy you think might do you harm, although the first guy may do you more harm than anybody else. Um, and looking at this from a, from a perspective of intracompany relations, what else can ICE do short of denying entry to French people or German people or Italian people or Croatian people uh, to the United States that can be just as effective but less intrusive? Now, part of the thing when people come to the U.S. to visit, they have to go through what's called the ESTA program, the Visa Waiver Program, if they're from countries in which there's not a high overstay rate. Some will tell you that the, the, the Visa Waiver Program has been beneficial to the United States. Uh, because it reduces the impact on the embassies. It allows embassies to maintain smaller staff. It speeds commerce in. It speeds business in. It speeds tourism into the country. And right now, it takes about three days to be approved for ESTA. You do it online. You used to just walk on the airplane. Now you do it online. They do a quick background check, but they're not taking your fingerprints or your picture. Uh, there may be set up, I think, visa waiver centers in other countries so that you can then uh, go to London, get your fingerprints done, or even do them online and get them done online with your picture before you come in the country and allow that information to be captured because why can't you just take a picture of your fingerprints and send them in uh, and allow the visa waiver program to exist. Some are saying let's end the visa waiver program. That ends that existential threat requires everybody to go through a background check at the embassy, which for certain countries goes through what's called administrative processing, which would delay somebody's visa issuance for two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, forever months, uh, while you do a background check against somebody. So I am curious who Trump will appoint to create 
and implement a system that's that's substantially different than the one we currently use? And can it arguably be said that it's a better system? And I'm not sure it can be. I mean, uh, if you're going to capture everybody's fingerprints, which you already do, somebody gets on that airplane, visa waiver, they show up at the port of entry, we get their fingerprints when they land. Even I, David, give my fingerprints. Have you traveled internationally recently? Sure. So you have. So you gave your fingerprints when you came back in. Uh, I gave my fingerprints through my global entry program. Now, I, I arrived last night on a global entry. I was in and out of JFK's uh, customs and immigration in three minutes. Boom, boom, I was just done. Because I had a background check completed beforehand. Apparently, the government trusts me to a certain extent, at least for now. We'll see what happens in, in two months. So they would trust me for now. Um, that, sh- that should be how it works for everybody. And we need to, I guess, figure out, is the current system doing enough to stop the bad guys from coming in. Now, I would argue, yes, it's done a very effective job of stopping the bad guys coming in legally because we have had a terrorist attack, essentially, on the scale of 9-11, carried out by somebody who came in through the visa waiver program. Now, we had, of course, the, the fiancé come in, different kind of situation, unclear whether they were radicalized here or there, a very strange situation. Blame the family for not reporting them. Um, but we look at the situation where... The border, both north and south, let's be clear about this, north and south, brings in people that may want to do us harm, not necessarily Mexican farmers or, or, or construction workers, but reality people will do us harm. Again, that's why I'm heartened by, by General Kelly, not because he's going to build a wall, but because I think he will do an effective job of putting in place a border enforcement system that actually works to the extent that we can then convince Congress to fix our immigration laws. Um, David, it's uh, been a long day. I didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> I didn't get enough sleep last night at all. Um, now, do you have any picks on who the next appointment... What, what is Kanye West going to be appointed to? Any, any idea? <laughs> no, I don't think he'll be appointed to anything. Oh, come on. <laughs> do you think he got that federal agent ID badge? Hip... Hip hop, uh, secretary of hip hop, or something. Or I don't think he's a hip. He's a rap not. guy, isn't he? Rap, a rap guy. Well, secretary of rap. Secretary of rap. The, the Trump rap. Or crap. I don't know. One of these. <laughs> the Trump rap. Um, uh, there are there other. There's a lot of other appointments left out there, isn't there? I mean, there's uh, only like three or four, I think. Now, what do you think of him having interviewed uh, Romney and kind of tossed him aside? Do you think he did that just to kind of just kind of stick it in his eyeball? Probably. And what does it say about Romney that he was willing to do that? I think it speaks volumes about Romney's integrity, that he's willing to do that, willing to, willing to swallow his pride and go in there and say, look, if you want me to serve, I'll serve. Not because he agreed with Donald Trump, not because he thinks he's going to be a good president, but I think he loves America. So kudos to Romney. Where was that Romney four years ago? That's what I just don't get. Where was that Romney four years ago? I, I, you know, that Romney could have won the presidency four years ago. Uh, the Romney that ran then just, just did not. Trump was right. I think he choked. I think he choked that down like a, like a bad cigar. Uh, uh, going forward. Uh, now, David, uh, I want to end today's show with a listing of all the sanctuary cities in America. Do you know we have sanctuary cities? Or whatever that means, okay. Uh, sanctuary cities, this is an article from, uh, from the International Business Times, um, that a, a, a sanctuary city apparently is a city that 
won't work with ICE to deport people? It's, you know, here's what they said here. There has been no single interpretation of the term, but sanctuary cities generally limit the scope with which city employees assist ICE, such as hunting out undocumented immigrants or detaining them for minor crimes. Um, so here's the list. And now you'll be surprised by this. Appleton, Wisconsin. Of course. Appleton, Wisconsin. Ashland, Oregon. Aurora, Illinois. Aurora, Colorado. Both shocking, right? Austin, Texas. That's no shock there. Berkeley, Boston. Burlington, Vermont, home of Bernie Sanders. Cambridge, Massachusetts, Chicago. Denver, Detroit. You know what's not in the A's right there? Atlanta. Atlanta's not a sanctuary city. It's not. Um, Because it's against the law here in Georgia to do that. Jersey City. Of course. Who would want to be in Jersey City? I grew up right next to Jersey City. Uh, Oakland, Philadelphia, Phoenix. Phoenix? Phoenix? Yes, this is, this is part of the weird politics of Phoenix. Phoenix is at, it's like Atlanta. It's a very small city in a very large county. So Maricopa County is the biggest county in America. It's massive. Physically just massive. Bigger than, than the Atlanta area is this one county. But Phoenix is a little city within that. Phoenix is a very liberal city run by Democrats. Thus, they have the sanctuary city stuff. Santa Fe, St. Paul, Syracuse, and finally, Winoski, Vermont. You know, that's it. He talks about sanctuary cities. There's like 20 of them. Thousands of cities in America? Yeah. And again, another issue to distract you from the man and behind, behind, behind the curtain. Don't look behind the curtain, man. Look over here. Squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Dave, it's been a good week. Thanks for having me this week. We'll be back uh, now. We'll be back in, in next week with our show, final show before Christmas. And then we'll take a, we'll have a couple repeats after that uh, while David's off gallivanting around the world uh, on taxpayer money. And then we'll be back uh, on America's Web Radio in the new year. If you have any questions or comments, email me at chuck at immigration.net or david at americaswebradio.com. We'll talk to you later next week. This is Chuck Cook, your host of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.